this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. It's on page 812 in the pew Bibles in the chairs around you. So if you have one of those, you can open it up to page 812. If, and uh, would you please stand as we read God's Word together and show reverence to the authority in our life. All right, this is Matthew 7, starting verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is just a great privilege to be able to gather with your saints. I was so encouraged by hearing your church's voices lifted high, singing praises to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great king, that you laid down your life and opened the door for us to have a relationship with our heavenly father. And Lord, I pray as we uh, sit underneath your word here and now, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would do the work in our hearts to change us. And above all, that we would love you and glorify you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Okay, so we got a pretty familiar text with us this morning. And I want to ask you guys a question. What is one of the most challenging requests that you've ever made in your life? One of the most challenging requests that you've ever made in your life. I'm sure you've had a lot. I know I have. I think about when I was a kid in sixth grade, I had this huge request, came to my parents and said, can I play football? They were like, absolutely not. And then when I was 16, I came to them and I said, can I have a car? Absolutely not. And then when I asked Michelle to marry me, (laughs) many of you know the story. And while she didn't say absolutely not, She did say no initially, but things worked out in the end. But probably one of the biggest requests that I had to ask in my life is when I came to Michelle's dad. And I came to him and I requested if I could date his daughter with the intention of marrying her. And at that stage in our relationship, I didn't know him very well. We had spent some time together, had dinners, done the birthday thing. But we didn't have a deep relationship at all. And so I was a little scared, but I knew my aim. I knew what I wanted to say, and I asked. And man, praise God, he, uh, he responded very graciously. And he not only said yes, that I could date his daughter with the intention of marrying her, but he gave me counsel in what he knew about Michelle and how to care for her. And he also shared with me how him and his wife had been praying for a husband for her 
for a long time. And then he gave me some real tangible things to, to be able to do with her uh, as we pursued the Lord together. And man, I'm so thankful. And after about eight years of being married and, and being in their family and the love that I've experienced, I feel like I've essentially been adopted into their family as one of their own. And while that, that just shadow of being adopted into their family is just a mere shadow, just a dim, dim picture of what it's like when sinners are forgiven and adopted into God's family. And they have a Father in heaven who loves them as their own. And so we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And this concept of our Heavenly Father has really jumped out. And if you were with us probably 13 weeks ago now when we started this sermon series, if you remember, I said one of the major themes of the Sermon on the Mount is the idea that we are citizens in God's kingdom. And while I firmly still believe that, as we've been walking through this, this idea of our Heavenly Father and that we are adopted children has jumped out to me all the more. And I think it is one of the major themes in the Sermon on the Mount as well. So that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Because we are adopted children of our Heavenly Father, we can ask confidently and we can love sacrificially. And last week, if you were with us, Matt Whitney did a great job. He did a great job convicting all of us, right, about how to judge without being judgmental. In our life group this week, we had a great discussion about uh, the different ways that we are censorious in our culture. And if you don't know what that means, I encourage you to go on our website or find our podcast and, and listen to last week's sermon. But I love how Matt brought in this community application, this community application to that passage, because we need one another to be able to judge and discern correctly. And I'm going to continue that community thread here this morning as we ask confidently and as we love sacrificially. And so those are my two points. They're right there in your bulletin. Stacy was giving me junk for only having a two-point sermon this morning, but I wanted to give you plenty of room to, to write notes. So, um, all right, let's jump in. Point number one, adopted children confidently ask. And this is Jesus's second teaching in the Sermon on the Mount on the concept of prayer. And it's pretty simple how he instructs us. He simply says to ask. Ask. That word ask is mentioned five times in verses 7 through 11. You just need to simply ask. So my son Solomon, he's six years old. He's recently grown in confidence riding his bike. And he's not quite old enough to be able to go on long rides by himself. And so when I come home from work, as soon as I walk in the door, Daddy, can we go on a bike ride? I'm like... Just a minute, son, let me put my bag down. <laughs> Dad, can we go on a bike ride? Son, let me touch base with your mom. Let me, let me help her with dinner. Okay, Dad, how about after dinner? Can, can we go on a bike ride then? We'll, we'll see, son, okay? Solomon scarfs down his dinner. He's the first one to finish. Dad, can we go on a bike ride right now? 
son, I haven't even finished my salad. Just give me a minute. So he gets up, puts on his helmet. He's waiting by the door to the garage. He's watching me eat. As soon as I put that last forkful in my mouth, Dad, can we go on a bike ride now? Like, and me, I'm getting a little peeved. I mean, his persistence is turning into nagging, and it's bothering me. And eventually I'm like, just to get him off my back, yes, Solomon, open the garage, I'll be there in a minute. We can go on a bike ride. And me, as his earthly father, I get annoyed. But that's not how our heavenly father responds to us. When we ask, when we seek, when we knock. He wants us to ask and keep on asking. He doesn't get exhausted. He doesn't get annoyed. No, he sent his son to die for us, to bring us into relationship with him. He wants to spend time with us, and he wants to hear our requests. And not only that, he wants to answer our requests. So ask, seek, knock. It has this implicit idea of getting more intense. When someone asks, it's pretty simple with your words. But in order to seek, you need to get up and start searching. Start looking around for something that you're trying to find. And then knock. It's as if you're pounding on a door to be opened. But the emphasis is not so much on our effort to ask, seek, and knock. No, the emphasis is more on the Heavenly Father who responds to that. That's why Jesus goes into this little parable there in verses 9 through 11. I'll read them again for you. Verse 9, he says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? How much more? I encourage you, underline that little phrase in your Bible. Circle it. Write it down in huge letters in your notes. How much more? It's this argument from the lesser to the greater. And we've seen Jesus already do this. In chapter 6, when he encourages us, when he instructs us to not be anxious, he says, look at the birds of the air. Look at the lilies of the field. How much more does your Father in heaven, who loves you, care for you, provide for you, clothe you. And similarly, here, Jesus is comparing earthly fathers to heavenly fathers. So he has these two examples, a stone and bread and fish and snake. So earthly fathers, when they actually care for their children, they wouldn't dare give them a stone and try to deceive them that it's a piece of bread. No, earthly fathers care for their children's physical needs. And with the snake and the fish, the snake, it's not so much that this snake would be alive and it's poisonous and it would bite you. No, a snake to a first century Jew, Jesus' original audience, is an unclean animal. And when a snake was cooked and a fish was cooked, a young child might not know the difference. But even an earthly father cares for his children's spiritual needs 
and he doesn't want to deceive them. And he doesn't want to have them eat something that would defile them before a holy God, as he's instructed them in his word not to eat it. But how much more does our Father in heaven care for our physical and our spiritual needs? But even though the call to ask is fairly simple, it's often neglected. Aaron Santini, he says probably the easiest way to humble someone is ask them how their prayer life's going. (laughs) And it's true. Prayer is often neglected in our lives. But I think it's because we have this wrong view of our Heavenly Father who wants us to ask. But not only that, I think we also have a wrong view of how He answers those requests. See, if you believe that God is some spiritual slot machine and you just need to keep pulling on that lever and eventually you're going to hit the jackpot, maybe, maybe you need to pray a little bit louder or maybe you just need to pray a little softly and have the right words. No, that's not who our Heavenly Father is. He's not some genie. Our wish is not His command to obey. No. Prayer is not about a formula. It's about a Father. It's not about results. It's about a relationship. But oftentimes, when our prayers, when our requests, when our seeking, when our knocking doesn't get answered how we want it to get answered, we get discouraged. Right? And we want to give up. And we ask ourselves the question, God, are you even listening to us? Well, I want to remind you of three truths from God's Word that yes, He does listen to us as we ask, seek, and knock. So the first one, even Jesus, when He prayed to His Father in heaven, He didn't get all His prayers answered. When He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Lord, take this cup from me. Won't you take this cup from me if there is any other way? This is in Matthew 26, verse 39. The Father didn't answer that request because He knew that redemption had to be accomplished by Jesus going to the cross and His wrath was satisfied completely on Jesus in our place. So Jesus didn't even have all His prayers answered. But as we, this is number two, as we seek, let us seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Let us align our prayers with His will, with what He says in His word. Matthew 6.33. And the third one, and I think it's the best one, it is for our profound good that God does not answer every single one of our requests. I can't tell you how many flippant requests I just throw up to God. The, the little text message prayers. And he doesn't answer those because he's good. And he knows what's best for us. Romans 8.28 So we can be confident that he does hear our requests because of our relationship with him. And we should continue to go before the throne of grace and ask and seek and knock And trust that however he responds, that is what is best for us. Because he is good. Because he is good. Jesus compares earthly fathers with our heavenly father. He says that earthly fathers are evil. And while yes, 
they are wretched, sinful, doing evil continually. The point that he's making is that in comparison to a holy God who is good, even earthly fathers still give good gifts, but they pale in comparison to the good things that God gives us. Just this week, I was talking with uh, Randy Kenyon, and as many of you know, they've adopted two children in their family. And, and so I asked him, I said, hey, what, what was that process like to bring Bella and Matthew into your home? He said, well, it certainly was a process. <laughs> and I said, okay, so what was it like for them to learn to trust you? And what he said was pretty insightful. He said that they, initially they, they wouldn't even ask for things. And even after invitation, they wouldn't ask. But over time, their confidence grew as they learned that Randy, their earthly father now, loved them and had their best interest in mind. But he also said that it was another hurdle and another process when he would say no to their requests. And they needed to learn that he wasn't doing something out of self-interest or being cruel. No, it was for their profound good that he would say no to some of their requests. And for us, as adopted children, we need to continue to learn to trust our Heavenly Father. And when we do, our confidence will grow. Our confidence will grow to continue to ask, to seek, and to knock. And so it begs the question, what are you asking for? What are you seeking after? What are you knocking, hoping that the door will be open? Well, there's a parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke to our passage this morning. Except for it has one major difference. Do you know what it is? Let me read it for you. This is in Luke eleven thirteen. He says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit. And again, we see that our Father in Heaven cares not just for our physical needs, but He also cares for our spiritual needs. By coming to dwell inside of us. And so, we need to continue to ask, not just for those physical things, but also for the spiritual things, so that we can love others, so that we can be kind, gentle, self-controlled, the fruit of the Spirit. We also need the Spirit to be able to judge and discern correctly, as Matt highlighted last week. And looking forward to our second point, which I'm not there yet, but we certainly do need the Spirit working in us if we are to treat others how we want to be treated. So as adopted children, we continue to ask. And as He answers, we grow in confidence. And so by way of application, as you ask, as you seek, as you knock, let me encourage you to do this not just individually, but in community. And together, we can watch how God answers our prayers. So whether it's the person in your life that you desperately want to come to know Jesus, start praying for that person. Continue praying for that person in the context of community. 
Or maybe you're walking through a pretty dark valley. Maybe it's something going on in your life like a medical ailment that you want to see God bring about restoration. Petition Him in community. Or maybe as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, there's been a character flaw or ten that's come up in your own life. Share that with a small number of men or women in your life and petition God together in community. We're starting a new school, school year. So students, teachers, pray together in community that you will be salt and light in your school this year. So as adopted children in the family of God with a heavenly Father, let us grow in confidence together as we ask Him to work in us and through us. And oftentimes the way that He does work through us is how we treat other people. And so that brings me to our second point this morning. Adopted children love sacrificially. Adopted children love sacrificially. So verse 12, I'll read it again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And historically, this has been known as what? The golden rule. That's right. That's right. Um, I've, got a, I've got a picture for us of the golden rule. This uh, framed verse is in my house. And I had my dad take a picture of it. Uh, not, not in my house, in my parents' house. <laughs> and uh, every day, I would go to the bathroom, take care of business, wash my hands, and I'd dry my hands. And right there next to the drying rack was the golden rule. And I'd read it. I said, man, people don't even talk like that anymore. <laughs> Just kidding. KJV, great, great translation. Um, but surprisingly enough, even after I read that every single day in Plano, Texas, when I grew up for most of my childhood, surprisingly enough, it didn't work in my life. <laughs> right? And it's because I was probably the most self-serving kid, not only in my house, but I was probably the most self-serving kid in the entire great republic of Texas. And the golden rule, it was of little value to me. It was of little value to me. And so I would break that rule time and time and time and time and time again. But then God did something in my life. Or more appropriately, he did something in my heart. And he changed me. And he gave me a new heart. And when I became a Christian, when I saw that I was a sinner who was forgiven and now adopted into his family, I was broken by how much I broke the golden rule. And this Christian ethic began to be instilled in me as I read his word, as I was around Christian community. And it's this ethic that true freedom is found when you live for other people, when you treat others how you would want to be treated. And so this ethic became very valuable to me as I loved God and loved people. And there's a, uh, there's a pastor and uh, he's kind of a scholar who we've been reading his commentary for the Sermon on the Mount this summer. 
Jonathan Pennington, he, he titles this not so much the golden rule, but this is Jesus' golden vision for our lives. That we are to lay down our lives for the sake of other people. And this is distinctively Christian. This is how people will know that we are Christians as we live not for ourselves, but for other people. However, however, there are many skeptics out there and, and antagonists to the Christian faith that say, man, what Jesus says there in the golden rule, that's found in so many other world religions and probably every single philosophy under the sun. But is it really? But is it really? So I did a little bit of research this week, and I came up with a list of similar sayings to Jesus' golden vision, and I have a slide for us with some of them. So these are similar teachings to Jesus' golden vision. Rabbi Hillel, famous kind of rabbi around Jesus' day, he says, what is hateful to yourself, do not to someone else. Confucius, about 500 years before Jesus, said, What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Greek philosopher, what you avoid suffering yourself, no, not afflict on others. And then the Stoics would say, what you do not want to be done to you, do not do to anyone else. And there are many more that I found, but I won't read them to you because there's a common thread through all of them. Do you see it? Do you see the common thread through it, through each one of those? These are all phrased in the negative. These are all phrased in what you should not be doing. And honestly, I think it's, it's less demanding when it's phrased in the negative compared to what Jesus is actually calling us to. Because when it's phrased in the negative, essentially it's saying, don't harm other people so that they won't harm you. Don't harm other people so that they won't harm you. That is still a selfish, motivated, inward-focused response. It's still self-interested. One of my uh, favorite pastors and theologians, Sinclair Ferguson, uh, he's got a great Scottish accent. That's terrible. Um, he, I got a quote from him. He says that in that form, the, the negative, it's always less demanding. It forbids action. It does not prescribe it. It sets limits. But what Jesus says is limitless in its demands and scope. His teaching is both positive and all-encompassing. End quote. So instead, Jesus is calling to us, calling us to something greater. He says that this is the law and the prophets. And what he means here is that when you treat others and sacrifice for their interests, much like your own interests, there's a million different ways that this plays out. And that is played out all throughout the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. But simply, and I would say chiefly, this concept, this golden vision that Jesus is calling his people to is summed up in that four-letter word, L-O-V-E, love. Love, And he reiterates this golden vision in the second half of the greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's not just in the Old Testament. This is carried on through the New Testament as a fulfillment of the law. And the New Testament writers take this and run with it. 
the Apostle Paul, Galatians 5.14. And the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13.8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then the Apostle James, Jesus' half-brother. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So it's love. How we love, that is sacrificially and not motivated by self-interest, is how Christianity is distinct from the rest of the world's religions. And we model our love after a first century Jewish carpenter who laid down his life for people who didn't really want it and they certainly didn't deserve it. And as Matt called us to community last week, I really believe that interpersonal relationships is the thread that connects some of these closing imperatives with the Sermon on the Mount. We need the community not just the Holy Spirit, but we often need the community to be able to judge and discern correctly. We need the community to continue to petition God together. And we need the community to be able to treat others how we would want to be treated. And so we need one another to prevent us from turning inward on ourselves. But when you turn inward, it's identified by a critical, self-righteous, inward-focused spirit. And this has happened to me, and this can happen to any one of you. And maybe it's happening to you right now in the season of life that you're in. I've seen it played out many times in our church here before. It's played out often like this. Someone will say, you know, I've, I've loved that community. I have laid down my life for them. And you know what? They just haven't reciprocated it to me. And now I'm done. I'm out of here. See you later. And if that's you, please know, like, I want to hear you out. I want to understand where you're coming from and why you have that perspective. What has led to that? But also know that I'm not just going to sit there in the mud puddle with you. I'm going to yank you out. And I'm going to yank you out by pointing you to Jesus. I'm going to point you to the one who said there is no greater love than he who laid down his life for his friends. I'm going to point you to the one who had his friends abandon him. Who had his friends just scatter in his most needed moment. I'm going to point you to the one who was bloodied, who was beaten, who was crucified. And I'm going to point you to the one who, when he was on the cross, you know what he didn't say? Jesus didn't say, you know, these people, I wish they would just reciprocate the same love that I've shown them. And since they're not, you know, I'm done. Take me down from this cross. No, Jesus did not say that. He said, Father, forgive them. He said, Father, forgive them. And he died and he rose again. And he not only forgives us, for our inward-focused, critical spirit. But he welcomes us into his family. We are fellow brothers, sisters. And he shares his heavenly Father with us when we certainly don't deserve it. Man, praise God. 
adopted children. We're brought in. And we love sacrificially as He has loved us sacrificially. So as I shut her down here this morning, by way of conclusion, the way that we live out this golden vision here at the crossing is in the context of our life groups. It's in the context of our life groups where you share your life with, your pe- with people and so that you treat them how you want to be treated. We all love it when people ask us questions, when they take a genuine interest in us. That has marked our church from the very beginning, our love for one another. We all enjoy it when someone remembers our name. And not only our name, but when they ask us about the details of our life. And then they follow up with us on those details. Life group is the context to be able to do this. Life group is the context to be able to celebrate the many joys that we have in our lives. But also as we're walking through the valleys. To have people pray with us. To have people pray for us. And it's also the context that we invite not yet Christians into so that they can see how we love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples when you love one another, John 13, 35. And as they come in to our community, not just the Thursday night context or whenever your life group meets for a study, but as they come into relationship with this community, then there is an opportunity for them to ask questions, but also for you to share what it means to be forgiven and what it means to become an adopted child as they repent of their sin and live for Jesus in all areas of their life. That's how I was treated when I became a Christian. And that's how we will trust God as he's going to continue to use our church to fulfill the Great Commission. So, again, as adopted children, let us confidently go before our Father in heaven as we know him, as we understand him. And as we do that, let us love sacrificially both those in our community and those who have yet to come into our community. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, it is a joy to be able to have your word each and every day, each and every Sunday. And Lord, I want to I ask and seek and knock something that is near and dear to many of our hearts. And that's this idea of We have the the college campus two miles down the road. Lord, there is a great opportunity to influence many more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to bring about transformation, to bring about this golden vision. And Lord, as many freshmen are going to descend upon that campus here this Thursday, God, we ask corporately, we ask together, Would you show us favor? Would you open doors so that we can have not just relationship with these students, but Lord, that they can have relationship with you. Lord, we trust that you want to use our church as a means to that end. And so, Lord, I pray, would you give us wisdom? Lord, I pray that you would give us 
more laborers for the harvest. And Lord, I pray that as these students come back, that we would love them, that we would serve them, and that we would treat them as we would want to be treated. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that the nations are at our doorstep. Lord, I pray that we can influence more internationals and that they would not only come to faith, but that they would want to bring the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ back to their country. And Lord, we ask just that you would help us to raise up more leaders, to plant more churches, to live on mission where we live, work, and play. Lord Jesus, we trust you for this, and we ask this in your name. Amen.